Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Wyoming. I'm Mark Hamilton, your host. Today we'll be taking a look at our winter weather. We'll be talking about New Year's resolutions and a little bit of everything else. We'll also talk about Wyoming political happenings. And we'll have part two of our Johnson County War. Thanks for joining us today and hope you enjoy the show. Taking a look at Wyoming weather today on Monday, January 9th. Windy outside, but man, I'll tell you what, our weather here in northern Wyoming is, even though we're having a lot of wind, the weather's a little cool. We're avoiding a lot of the storms. The southern part of Wyoming, that I 80 and a lot of those areas have been plagued by snow and high winds and closures everywhere on that I 80. Travel's been pretty tough in a lot of those areas. But right now, on the 9th, we're doing really good. I talked to a person yesterday that lived in California and it was relaying the issues that they're running into with all these storms that have been coming into California one after another and the amount of flooding and just continuing to rain. They have another big storm coming in on Tuesday, so we'll keep an eye on that. But it doesn't seem like a lot of that weather might be just catching the southern part of Wyoming, but here to the north, we don't have anything really in the forecast for 10 days of any type of snow or those type of conditions. So I guess that's some Wyoming weather. Again, on the 9th, windy outside, but we're in the high 20s and we'll probably get to low 30 today, so we'll take another day of that. Today is January 9th, 2023, and today is National Peace Officers Day. We want to thank you, all the officers. Thank you for everything you do for all of us uh, here in our state of Wyoming, our local police, our sheriff's departments, our highway patrol. We definitely know that you guys have to go through a lot. It's been a rough couple of years for police in our country, and I think it's time that we start remembering all the things that they do for us all and make sure that we let them know that we're appreciative of everything they do for us. Also, here we are in January. I don't know we talk about January. Of course, a new year, we have New Year's resolutions. And here on the ninth day, I wonder how many people have kept their New Year's resolutions. Most people, it ends up being something along the lines that, hey, I'm going to start working out more. I'm going to go on a diet. I am going to make sure that I spend more time with my family. And for some reason, it seems like by about the ninth, that first week, that we've probably broke all those. But it's a good time to start thinking about some of the things that we can do here in our country. I think when you go by our story last week on that kind act that that a uh, young man did for that lady that was headed to hospice. He was there to spend a little bit of time with that lady. Just that short amount of time just made everything to that lady. It, it was important to her, and it ended up being important to him. And he realized, uh, stepping back at what that did do and what he needed to do in his future. And I think that's the biggest one we need to have here in our country, is maybe to be a, a lot more caring towards each other, be a lot more understandable of each other, be willing to step up and do those small things. I think that's where a a lot of big things start when we do the small things. They all build up. So definitely I hope that you have your New Year's resolutions, and I hope that you've stayed strong with them, and I hope that you are looking forward to 2023 and all the great things that could be out there. There's a lot of negative things that are floating around with all the problems going on 
with our economy and recessions and pricing is just crazy anymore at the store. Price of eggs has just gone through the roof and it just slowly but surely starts to wear on you. And you definitely need to keep a positive note about yourself. But it's also a good time to look around you and look at ways that you can help each other get through these tough times. And it was amazing to see on the Monday night football game on January 2nd, the Buffalo Bills were playing the Cincinnati Bengals in Cincinnati. And everybody in the country has followed the case of the Buffalo Bill player getting hit and falling to the turf and was down and out for quite a while. They had to do CPR and resuscitate him. And it amazed me the amount of outpour for people for prayer. And when you start thinking the country may be gone, it is amazing what that one single act had on our country. The amount of people that were talking about prayer. And I think that's that's the part that just amazes you with what the ability that God has to work in mysterious ways. But I saw more people on every level of life that were calling for prayer for that player. And maybe that is a breakthrough of in our country right now of starting to go to prayer and knowing that how powerful it is. And you can see the player ended up walking out of the hospital. It was absolutely amazing that uh, recovered that fast. But it does give you some confidence that there is still a lot of good out there. We just need to keep on top of it and keep remembering that as we continue on here in Wyoming and here across the United States and across the world, that we can make changes and there is a way to make a change in our world. Taking a look at Wyoming political news, 2023 Wyoming legislature will start on January 10th. They'll take up their business. It'll be an interesting year. A lot of bills will be going through the legislature. I know that uh, the Fairness in Women's Sports we've talked about. We're going to take another look at crossover voting with our new Secretary of State. I know that's one of the things that he feels important. So I think it's going to be maybe one of the most important sessions we've had in some time. We'll see how they do with the budget with our balancing of our budget, keep track of how things are going. Now, the state does have a great website, the legislature. You can go ahead and get on the Wyoming legislative site, keep track of how bills are doing, what's going on, how your representative is voting, what bills they're presenting, and how these bills are going. And then when these bills come through, you can see what happens, who supports them and who doesn't support them. I think it's important for all Wyoming voters to go out and keep track of what's going on with the legislature. They're down there representing you. And I think it's really important to keep track. If they're not doing what you feel like is what we need to get done, that's why they have to get voted in and the voters control what takes place. So if that representative is not following the path that they've told you that they were going to follow, they've headed off a different direction and it's time when the next election comes around to come up with a new representative. So on the national stage, Kevin McCarthy, Congressional Speaker of the House, no longer have Nancy Pelosi. It's going to be an interesting session coming up in Congress. They have a lot of stuff, a lot of things on their plate that needs to take place, and we'll see how they get through that. I know that one of the first things they were going to do is repeal the funding for the 87,000 IRS agents. I don't know if a lot of people are going to be disappointed with that. There's quite a few other things that just keep popping up our southern border, and man, just a plethora of things. So we'll keep track of how Harriet Hageman does. She'll be starting her term as our congresswoman from Wyoming. I'm hoping that Harriet 
and do some great things down there. I think she really cares about the people of Wyoming, and I really do feel like she'll do a good job. But again, keep track of what's going on with politics. It's an important part of your life, and it's what shapes our future for, for us and all of our kids, our grandkids. Our future is really important. Today in our history section, Johnson County War, 1892 invasion of northern Wyoming from wildhistory.org, and this was written by John W. Davis of Worland, Wyoming. On April 5th, 1892, 52 armed men rode a private secret train from Cheyenne, just outside of Castle, Wyoming. They switched to horseback and continued north towards Buffalo, Wyoming, the Johnson County seat. Their mission was to shoot or hang 70 men on a list carried by Frank Canton, one of the leaders of this invading force. The invaders, as they came to be known, included one of the most powerful cattlemen in Wyoming, their top employee, and 23 hired guns. The invasion, resulting from long-standing dispute between these cattle barons, who owned herds numbering in the thousands, and the small operators, most running just enough cattle to support their family. Event came to be called the Johnson County War. Longtime Wyoming historian T.A. Larson ranked it the most notorious event in the history of Wyoming. Numerous court records contain valuable information on the invasion, as do other government documents, especially land files. Most significantly, after the invasion, sometimes as many as 40 years later, the cattlemen and their allies published writings containing omissions that suddenly shone a bright light on the contested issues. From this data, clear facts emerge from which the truth about the invasion and its cause can be determined. Johnson County newspaper date back to August of 1883 when no one in Johnson County conceived of future astonishing events and those newspapers are full of candid appraisals of the community. A reading from the Johnson County newspaper quickly dispels the notion stated in other Wyoming newspapers and others around the nation, that Buffalo was the most lawless town in the country, or a haven for range pirates who mercilessly stole big cattlemen's livestock. The cattle barons planned and organized and financed the invasion, declaring beforehand and afterwards that they had no choice but to take drastic actions to protect their property. They said they were the victims of massive cattle stealing in Johnson County, and local authorities were doing nothing to protect their herds. They further declared that Buffalo was a rogue society in which wrestlers controlled everything, politics, courts, and juries. Those juries, the cattle baron said, refused to convict on cattle wrestling charges no matter how strong the evidence. Johnson County people, on the other hand, largely believed that the real reason for the invasion was the cattleman's determination to drive competitors off the open range and that the stockmen illegally monopolized to stop those who might legally take up public land under the Homestead and Desert Land Acts. And Johnson County residents said that cattle rustling was greatly exaggerated, as were difficulties with prosecution for livestock crimes. The year of the invasion, 1892, was a time when many towns in Wyoming had two newspapers, and a big town like Cheyenne had several, including three dailies. Two of those influential Cheyenne papers, however, were owned by cattle interests, as all Cheyenne papers were just a short while before 1892. Still, the newspapers of the time were full of revealing information. Contrary to the cattle baron's portrayal, Buffalo was a town full of ambitious young people who worked hard to build up their community and make better lives for their families. 
Johnson County people were not saints, but they bore little resemblance to the picture of criminality later forwarded by big cattlemen. In 1880, the cattle barons in Johnson County and across Wyoming territories ruled their customary ranges like private fiefdoms. Most had little concept of the true carrying capacity of those ranges, however, and overstocked them. Cattle prices peaked in 1882, drawing more money to the business and more cattle to the land. Soon there was a beef glut. Prices began to fall, yet no one could think of anything to do but bring in even more cattle, weakening the ranges further and driving prices further down. Then a bad drought in 1886 was followed by the terrible winter of 1886-87. through Johnson County's newspapers show that the harsh winter, the Wyoming cattle industry was in bad financial trouble and that the owners of the big herds deeply resented those who might challenge their unfettered right to run their cattle on public land. Such a challenge could become deadly. That was the 1889 fate of two homesteaders lynched near Sweetwater River in Carbon County by six cattlemen on July 20th of 1889. Ellen Watson and Jim Averell had homesteads in the middle of the cattle industry. Ellen Watson was known as Cattle Kate. Sensational newspaper articles appeared immediately after the lynching, betraying Watson as a prostitute who accepted cattle for her favor. These articles, however, were written by an employee of one of the Cheyenne's dailies owned by cattle barons, and recent authoritative writings show they were false, created out of whole cloth. That same year of 1889, Johnson County juries acquitted suspects in five cattle theft cases. Big cattlemen reacted in fury, stating publicly and in private correspondence that the acquittals proved it was impossible to present evidence in Johnson County to a jury, no matter how compelling that would produce a conviction. A close review of contemporary newspaper articles and court documents, however, show the case brought against the accused men to be deeply flawed. Seemingly motivated by huge reward money, a frenetic determination by owners of big herds to punish owners of small herds who claim rights to grazing on public land. In 1891, several of the cattle barons resolved to take action against their tormentors. The first step was the formation of an assassination squad of employees of the Wyoming Stock Growers Association. This small group of men included Frank Canton, who we talked about last week, a former Johnson County Sheriff and a stock inspector of the association. Their first action was to hang a man from Newcastle, Wyoming, Tom Wagoner, who traded horses. They followed this with an attack upon Nate Champion. Champion was a small man with a reputation as a formidable fighter. He ran a herd of about 200 cattle on one of the forks of the Powder River. Champion's stock grazed on public land, exactly as did the animals of the big cattlemen. He insisted that his cattle had as much right to graze on public range as did the herd of the cattle barons. Legally, Champion was absolutely right, but the big cattlemen did not take well to his defiance. He was declared king of the cattle thieves by a newspaper reporter sympathetic to the cattle barons although no charges had ever been brought against him. Indeed, after the invasion, Willis Van Devanter, the astute attorney for the invaders, stated there was no evidence at all to substantiate charges of cattle theft against Champion. Still, the prominent cattlemen wanted to punish Nate Champion. In the early morning of November 1st of 1891, members of the assassination squad burst into a cabin occupied Chapman and another man. 
cabin was a tiny structure located next to the middle fork of the Powder River in the hole in the wall country, about 15 miles southwest of what's now KC, Wyoming. Only two members of the five-man squad were able to squeeze into the cabin. Those two, however, held pistols on the two captives and demand that Champion give up. Champion, he told the Buffalo Bulletin the next month, stretched and yawned while reaching under a pillow for his own revolver, and the shooting started. The intruders fired shots at point-blank so close that powder burns were left on Champion's face. Amazingly, all the shots missed that were fired at him. Champion returned fire, however, did not. One of the squad members was hit in the arm and the other was shot in the belly, a mortal wound. The assassination squad fled, but not before Champion got a good look at one of them. Private and public investigations followed, and one of the assassination squad members was forced to admit the names of all the members before two witnesses. Those two witnesses were Powder River rancher John A. Tisdale and perhaps Orly Ranger Jones of Johnson County authorities They filed an attempted murder charge against Joe Elliott, the attacker identified by Nate Champion, and local newspapers pushed for charges against the wealthy and prominent cattlemen that believe the employers of the assassination squad. About December 1st of 1891, both Tisdale and Jones were assassinated. The killings created an uproar in Johnson County, and the movement to charge the higher-ups became the whole trust of the community. The means to arrest and charge complicit cattlemen were at hand. If Johnson County could obtain a conviction against even one of the assassins, he would probably name his employers to avoid a long prison term. On February 8, 1892, a preliminary hearing was held in the case of State v. Elliott for the attempted murder of Nate Champion. Champion gave dramatic testimony and Joe Elliott, a stock detective of the Wyoming Stock Growers Association, was bound over for trial in the district court on the attempted murder charge. Johnson County attorneys had amassed a great deal of evidence against Elliott and, with Champion's testimony, seemed likely to convict him when his case came to trial. The big cattleman promptly resolved in early March of 1892 to go north and invade Johnson County. One month later, the invaders left Cheyenne and traveled to Johnson County. When they arrived in the southern tip of the county, one of their local spies told them that rustlers, including Champion himself, were holed up in a cabin at the KC Ranch just a few miles north. The invading cattlemen knew that with Champion's testimony, Johnson County had a strong case against Elliott, and upon Elliott's conviction, the trail would lead back to his employers. If Champion was not killed, these invaders would probably land in the penitentiary. After a long argument, the invaders took a vote. The decision was to go on to the KC Ranch and kill him. They surrounded Champion. For hours, he fought the 50 men, wounding three. Finally, during the middle of the afternoon of April 9, 1892, the invaders torched the cabin, forcing him out and shooting him down. By then, however, the countryside had been alerted, and the men from all over the area rushed to confront the invaders. The invaders holed up south of Buffalo at the T.A. Ranch. There, they were surrounded by local citizens, a posse that eventually grew to more than 400 men. The posse conducted a formal siege, no doubt led by the Civil War veterans among them. Over three days, the posse slowly closed in on the invaders. On the morning of the third day, 14 posse members started to move towards the T.A. Ranch House using a ponderous, movable fort called a go-devil or ark of safety made of logs on the running gear of two wagons. The idea 
was then when the posse got close to the invaders' fortification, they would use dynamite to force the invaders out into the open. The running gear came from the captured supply wagons of the invaders, which contained dynamite intended for use against the people of Johnson County. But the posse never got the chance to use these weapons. In the nick of time, soldiers from nearby Fort McKinney rode into the scene and took the invaders into custody. The governor of Wyoming, Amos Barber, had summoned the soldiers. Barber, according to accounts written years later by the invaders and their sympathizers, was thoroughly knowledgeable about and supportive of the invasion. When he learned that his cattlemen friends were in deep trouble, he telegraphed President Benjamin Harrison in Washington, D.C. When the telegram, for reasons that are unclear, failed to go through, Barber asked the two senators from Wyoming, Joseph Carey and Francis E. Warren, to go to the White House and pay a personal call on the president. Harrison was quickly convinced that there was an insurrection, as Barber's first telegraph had termed it, in Wyoming and agreed on a call to Fort McKinney's troops to suppress it. Once the invaders were taken into custody, however, Governor Barber assumed control over them and refused to even allow them to be questioned. The governor completely frustrated the investigation and prosecution of the invaders by Johnson County authorities. The costs for feeding and housing the prisoners, though, still had to be paid by Johnson County, not to mention the substantial charges for preparation and presentation of criminal cases. The state provided no financial assistance, however. Predictably, a travesty of justice was played out eight months later in a Cheyenne courtroom. The charges against all invaders had to be dismissed because a jury could not be seated to try their case, and Johnson County did not have the funds to pay the continuing expenses of prosecution. The cattle barons were protected by their friendly judicial system, but that system would not protect these men from the Wyoming voters. The Republican Party was closely associated with the cattlemen, and their principal organization, the Wyoming Stockgrowers Association. One of the two state U.S. Senators, Republican Joseph Carey, had recently served as president of the association. Many Wyoming people were offended by the spectacle of the Senator's late-night personal visit to President Harrison to rescue the wrongdoers. The Senator had rousted the President out of bed. The invaders and their supporters did everything they could in the months after the invasion to suppress Johnson County and its advocates including mounting a fervent attempt to have martial law declared in the state. President Harrison, however, apparently made cautious when great number of Wyoming people protested in the early actions refused to do that. In the 1892 election, it was a landslide in favor of the Wyoming Democratic Party. A Democrat was elected governor and another was elected to the U.S. Congress. At the time, U.S. senators were still elected by state legislatures. Enough Democrats were elected to the Wyoming State Legislature that no Republicans could be selected for the U.S. Senate. Senator Francis E. Warren lost his seat. Still, the 1892 election hardly proved to be good to the Wyoming Democrats. Because of fears and resentment stirred up by the invasion, the 1893 legislative session was as bitter and partisan as any in the history of the state. Democrats now controlled the Wyoming House, but Republicans retained control of the Senate. But the state's Democrats had made the mistake of running fusion tickets with the Wyoming Populist Party and in the crunch found that the two parties could not operate well together. No Republican was sent to the U.S. Senate, but because of the political incompetence of the fusion coalition, no Democrat was either. For two years, Wyoming only had one senator in the U.S. Congress. 
1894, following the nationwide panic of 1893, Wyoming voters threw out the Democrats, the party in power during the economic catastrophe. Francis E. Warren was returned to the U.S. Senate in 1895 and served there for the next 34 years. Despite mixed electoral results, there were permanent and positive changes in response to the Johnson County War. Wyoming people had made it abundantly clear by their votes and by their strong resolution to public officials reported in newspapers that they would not tolerate abuses like the invasion of Johnson County. Perhaps most significantly, the organization primarily responsible for the Johnson County War, the Wyoming Stock Growers Association, was changed forever. Plagued by continued economic woes, the cattle barons in the association permanently altered this organization in 1893 when they opened their group to all stock growers in Wyoming. In what was a galling but necessary action, the small cattlemen of Wyoming vilified such a short while before were invited to join. This action abruptly halted the overwhelming hostility of the big cattlemen towards the smaller operators and stopped such programs as the compensation at the point of sale of suspected rustlers' cattle by the Wyoming Livestock Commission. After 1893, a measure of peace descended upon the Wyoming Range, although it wasn't until 16 years later that armed economic vigilantism was finally stopped in Wyoming. Cattlemen raiders killing sheep and sheepherders were convicted of serious crimes after the 1909 Spring Creek Raid south of Tinsley, Wyoming, and were sent to the Wyoming Penitentiary. Wyomingites could finally claim to have put frontier mob rule behind them. Another outstanding story from wildhistory.org, and well done by Mr. John Davis. It was a scarred time in our country and in our state, and I was watching yesterday on the new series, 1923, that takes place in Montana. They had the same type of a situation in that series, but it was a difficult time in the West, but ultimately the people prevailed. We ended up with a actual functional Wyoming Stock Growers Association. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy our podcast. As per the Code of the West, we ride for the brand, and we ride for Wyoming.